0: I love how that video represents the passing of time, and it reminds us of the theme of what we're studying right now: How long? How much time will pass, O oh Lord? How long do we have to wrestle with sin and brokenness and all the wrong and evil in the world? Before I ask you to turn to the passage, I want to share. A humorous story about what's happened to me this week, I actually discovered that I have been mispronouncing the name of this prophet my entire life. It reminds me of when I first met my bride, whose name is Laurie, that up to the point that I met her, I had only ever known girls, gals, ladies named Laurie. And those who were named Laurie are Laurie, are quite used to their names being mispronounced. Well, I can remember as we were dating, since all I had ever heard was Lori, I called Lori, Lori. And she very gently pointed out that her name wasn't Lori, it was Lori. Well, I was on three different Zoom calls with ministry partners this week. And we talked about the series That I'm going through and I've always called the prophet Habakkuk. Well, I was on a Zoom call with a ministry partner in London and the Brits pronounce it as Habakkuk. Then I was on a Zoom call with a ministry partner in Beirut and in the Arabic countries, they call him Habakkuk. And then it made me think, well, how did the Hebrews then pronounce this name? because, of course, the Arabs are very close in some ways, language-wise, to the Jews. And sure enough, when I looked up the Hebrew, it actually is Habakkuk. So turn in your Bibles to Habakkuk, chapter 1. And as you do that, remember, don't call my wife Lori. It's Lari. And one day, if you know Christ, you will, in fact, meet Habakkuk and he'll want you to pronounce his name correctly. As you turn then to Habakkuk chapter one, I want to remind us of what we learned last week in the beginning of the book. I opened our time with a clip from U2's concert, and their last song that they always play is called 40. And the lyrics from the verses are all from Psalm 40, but the refrain is from Habakkuk chapter 1, How Long. Now for the rest of the story. The song 40 is the last song, the 10th track, on a 1983 album called War. The first track on that album is called Sunday, Bloody Sunday, and the refrain from Habakkuk, How Long, that is found in Psalm 40, the last track, actually appears for the first time on the first track, Sunday, Bloody Sunday. And so both the beginning and the end of the album war is framed by this question, how long? And it reminds us that all of life, in a sense, for the Christian, is framed by that question, how long must we sing this song? You need to know that the song, Sunday Bloody Sunday, is actually about an event that took place in 1972. It's called, in Northern Ireland history, Bloody Sunday. There were a group of protesters, very peaceful. Most of them were teenagers, and they were protesting a new government law that said that people could be imprisoned without any due process. People could be imprisoned without any trial. And so this group of mainly young people was peacefully walking down the street when a British army opened fire unannounced and many were shot and killed. And the song Sunday, Bloody Sunday laments the violence and hostility of evil, of the troubles, as they're known as in Northern Ireland, the troubles between the Irish Republican army, Republicans, meaning they want one single Ireland, and what are known as loyalists, those loyal to the British throne. Now, it was a political contest for a while, but, but now it's turned into really organized crime. And you have militant Catholics and militant Protestants And they're really not Christians at all. Northern Ireland had their troubles. We have our troubles. And Habakkuk had troubles in his day as well. It all started when Habakkuk noticed that there was a lot of unrepentance and sin and disobedience in the Old Testament church. And he cried out, how long, O Lord? How long until you deal with sin? Now, what Habakkuk was wanting was simply some revival. He was wanting God's spirit to bring repentance. But God's response was, I'm going to deal with evil in my people. And I'm going to bring the evil, wicked, rapacious, malicious Babylonians and they're going to judge my people. And so now Habakkuk is even more confused. How could you bring someone so evil to judge the church when there still are many in the church, Judah, the people of God, who were righteous? Are you going to wipe out the righteous with the unrighteous? And we pick up the action where Habakkuk continues to wonder about this problem of evil. A recent survey was done, and the question was asked, if you had one question you could ask God, what would it be? The number one answer to the survey. I'd want to ask God, why is there so much evil? wickedness, pain, and suffering in the world. If you've been a Christian for any time at all, you've likely wrestled with the problem of evil. In our devotional this week, A Good Confession, the entire week, the chapter is on the problem of sin, the problem of evil. If you've had conversations with other people uh, that aren't in the church, you've probably been asked that question. It's a question God longs for us to deeply wrestle with because remember the sub-theme of Habakkuk. Our faith matures in direct proportion to our approaching God in honest vulnerability. Now I know that many people at home when I read the word actually do what we had been doing when we gathered corporally and that is we stand out of reverence for the word of God. So it may feel a bit awkward but the posture of reverence is still called for no matter where we're watching this morning. So go ahead and stand out of reverence for God's word. And follow along as I read Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 12 through 2, verse 1. This is God's Word. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. Now he's talking about the Babylonians and particularly the Babylonian armies. And the Babylonian armies, although historic and real, are also representative for us of the attack of evil in the world and in our lives. Verse 13, and is glad. Now we're going to get to this and what all this means in a moment, but he's still describing the maliciousness and ruthlessness of the Babylonian armies, and it's a picture for us of the ruthless attack of evil in our lives. Verse 16, therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us, and he actually invites us to wrestle with the deep questions of life, even the problem of evil, so that his name may be glorified, we may be helped, and the world changed. Let's pray. God, we ask you now to send your spirit wherever we are. The spirit that unites us in Christ. The spirit that illumines our minds, the spirit that applies the scriptures to our hearts in a way that changes us and gives us a deeper knowledge love for you. We ask all this in Jesus name. Amen. So wherever you are, go ahead now and take a seat. 3 ways We learn to wrestle with the problem of evil through Habakkuk's complaint. First of all, wrestle with the problem of evil theologically. Well, now when I say theologically, I'm not saying you need to go to seminary. Theology is simply the study of God. Now, not the study of God as a concept to be mastered, but the knowledge of God as a person to be loved, known, trusted. Habakkuk approached God longing for renewal. And God says that evil from the Babylonian armies is going to judge his people. And as Habakkuk is shocked by God's response, He returns to the things he knows to be sure of, the things he knows he's certain of. In this life, we are always going to run into issues and questions that are beyond our comprehension. And in those times, like, for instance, wrestling with the problem of evil, we need to return to the things we're sure of, And what we can be sure of is the nature and character of God. Look at verse 12. Are you not from everlasting? Habakkuk reminds himself that God is the eternal creator God. He reminds himself that that this world was initially created good. By a good God who repeats in Genesis 1, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. And that the problem of evil has its source, not in God, but in man's rebellion against God. When Adam took the forbidden fruit in rebellion and the whole cosmos broke and evil was unleashed on earth. Then he says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God? That that Hebrew word, my God, is Elohim. It again stands for the sovereign creator, the moral governor of the universe. The God who works all things according to his plan. In Ephesians 1, verse 11, God says just that through Paul. I work all things according to the counsel of God of my will. And that's simply quoting Proverbs 16:4 that God is in control of all things even over the wicked for the day of disaster. Evil seems at times to gain the upper hand, but Habakkuk reminds himself as we need to remind ourselves that evil is on God's leash. Evil is a pawn in the plan of God. And though at times we may not understand why or how he's using evil, we need to trust in his heart that it's good toward us. And then he calls God the Lord. He remembers God's covenant personal name. Uh, We know this word Lord, you'll find it in your Bibles with L-O-R-D, all capitalized. That's the name for Jehovah, Yahweh, the personal covenant keeping God. And out of that name, God reveals all kinds of attributes of his heart. Jehovah Jireh, I am the Lord who provides. Jehovah Rohi, I am the Lord, your shepherd. And David talks about this God in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We may not be able to comprehend God's use of evil in the world, but we know he's our shepherd and we need not fear evil. So as we worship God, know God, trust God according to, to his attributes and nature, good theology, we are helped. We focus on that which we know before we begin to wrestle with what we don't know or understand. Habakkuk also calls God his holy one. We must never forget that no matter how much we may see evil in the world, God opposes it. In God, there is light and no darkness at all. Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God. God hates all evil, even though he uses it for his purposes. God never looks with approval upon evil. And when we experience attacks of evil and we lament, we can know that God laments with us. Look at verse 13, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at it. In other words, God cannot look upon evil with approval. And then in verse 12, Habakkuk remembers and returns to the reality that God is our rock. Evil may land punches in our world and in our lives, but God is our sure footing our fortress, our refuge in the day of evil. As I studied this text, I really began reflecting on how have I experienced the pursuit of evil in my life? How has evil hunted me? And I had to admit, I've never been hunted by evil the way Habakkuk and the people of Judah were. I've never had a vicious, malicious army pursue me and harm me physically. I've never even been persecuted emotionally, or or I should say relationally. But I have been hunted emotionally. I've seen the viciousness of evil attack me to discourage me. I've seen the viciousness of evil attack me in my mind and tempt me to doubt. Not just God's goodness, but even the very existence of God. I've seen evil hunt me spiritually as I find myself wrestling with performance before God and feeling like he's never pleased or never delighted in me. How have you experienced the pursuit of evil hunting you? In those times when I recognize I'm being hunted, the only anchor of my soul is the same anchor that Habakkuk turned to, and that is the nature and character of God. In times of deep wrestling with the problem of evil, I've read books like Knowing God, the God who is there, the existence and attributes of God, the names of God. And though I don't understand at times what God's doing by allowing evil to be loosed upon the world or even toward my life, my faith is anchored as I wrestle with evil theologically, not a seminary degree, not God as a concept to be mastered, but God as a person to be known, trusted and loved. It's been a game changer in my life. Many of you know that I wrestle at times with fear and anxiety and worry. We well, need to know that during this COVID crisis, it's only God's grace. But it also could be that maybe I'm becoming more anchored in the character of God. I've really not been afraid. As a matter of fact, as weird as this sounds, I almost find myself inspired. And I don't want that to sound insensitive. Uh, I'm so sorry for the, the physical suffering that people are undergoing. I'm sorry for the economic struggles and the business struggles that people are experiencing. I'm so sorry for the relational distancing that is occurring between people. But I want you to know I'm even more sorry and more burdened and more troubled by how evil has hunted so many of us over the years to shut down our hearts toward God. And if God uses this crisis to turn our hearts toward Him so that we seek to know Him better, to know Him intimately through His names and His nature, so that we know, love, and trust Him more. Then so be it. What might this God, whose names are written in the passage so clearly, what might He be up to? In your life, my life, the life of our church, and in our world. We have, some of us, lots of time, read one of those books I mentioned on who God is. Never has good theology been more important. And then secondly, we also need to wrestle with the problem of evil candidly, honestly, Sincerely, Christians can't close our eyes to the evil in the world. Look at verse 14. Habakkuk says, you make mankind like the fish of the sea. He's bringing us back to Genesis 1, 28, where God says, I give you dominion over the fish of the sea and the crawling things on earth. God, who's a good God, who longs to flourish his creation, gave us the responsibility to work to flourish creation. To have dominion over the fish means that we use the fish for the good of the world as food or even taking care of them or being in awe of the beauty of the creativity of God through them. It doesn't mean abusing them, abusing the environment. It means ordering life for flourishing. But Habakkuk is saying, we've become the fish and the Babylonian armies are the fishermen and they're cruel. They're like those people that engage in illegal whaling and those kinds of things. And Habakkuk is grieving as he looks candidly at the unleashing of evil in the world. And then it goes on to say that crawling things have no ruler to lead them to flourishing. You know, the Greek gods had Poseidon, the god of the sea, and the the Romans had um, Neptune, the god of the sea. Now we know that's just myth, but there were gods to lead to the flourishing of the sea. And Habakkuk is lamenting candidly, over the pervasiveness of evil. And we humans seem to be helpless, led about by evil wherever it wants us to go. Look at verse 15. He, again, the Babylonian armies as the personification of evil, the evil that hunts you and hunts me continually. He brings all of them up with a hook. Again, the fishing metaphor. But you need to know it's not just a metaphor. The Babylonian armies were so cruel and so ruthless that they would take the vanquished people that they conquered and put hooks through their lower lips, string them along. Now, you need to realize that the lower lip is one of the most sensitive parts of the body. And if you have a sharp hook through there, You are going to be led wherever anybody wants you to go. And Habakkuk is candid about the power evil seems to have over us in the world. Verse 15, he gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Habakkuk is lamenting as he's being candid about how brutal evil is, that it actually takes delight, it takes pleasure. In the suffering, torment, and torture of people. If you're having marriage problems, Satan is clapping with joy. If your children are wandering off from the Lord, Satan is singing with glee. If you're facing physical pain, he's delighted. If your business is failing or struggling, He couldn't be happier. The Babylonian armies reveal to us the kind of enemy we're up against. And he hates us. And he hates the world. He hates even non-Christians because they're still image bearers of the creator God. If anybody looks at evil candidly in this world, It needs to be us as believers in Jesus Christ. Verse 16, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. In other words, evil worships the instruments of its torment and torture. You're beginning to get a picture of what we're up against. Verse 17, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? we're reminded here that evil is relentless. In verse 16, for by them, for by his instruments of torture, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Ancient Babylon was was the most opulent culture of the ancient world. And the psalmists often wrestle with the question, why do the wicked prosper? You see, we don't need to hide our questions from God. About evil, we need to honestly and vulnerably go to Him and see our faith matured. I'm the kind of person that my brain never shuts off. If I have a meeting on Zoom, like I did last night till nine o'clock, it takes me two or three hours to wind down. My mind just the RPMs are always going, and as a result, I'm often thinking about things that are wrong with this world. Let me share with you how I candidly wrestle with evil in the world. Do you realize that there were 25 million people, most of them girls and young women, who are being sexually trafficked worldwide right now? Do you realize that there are forced laborers of children in slave labor by the millions right now? Do you realize that the persecution of the church globally has never been more intense, not even in the first century? We've seen genocide in our lifetimes. Hitler murdered 6 million Jews. We just celebrated the Holocaust Remembrance Day last Monday. Stalin likely killed 30 million of his own people in Russia. Chairman Mao in 1958 began a purge of well over 30 million of his own people in China. There's been genocide in Rwanda. Even now in Myanmar, South Sudan, and of course there's the new genocide, abortion. 600,000 every year in America. 56 million every year worldwide. And then I wrestle with how bad must the problems be for a woman who feels her only choice is to end a life. There's 800,000 suicides in the world every year. That's one every 40 seconds. Domestic abuse, 10 million per year in America experience domestic abuse. One in six girls or women experience rape or attempted rape. Then there's terrorism, mass shootings. How long, oh Lord? And these are people, not statistics. I was talking to someone the other day, and they mentioned something I'll never forget. They said to me, the bubble that is Birmingham has burst. You know, many of us, because of our earnings, because of our leisure, because of our opportunity, we're actually able to stay engaged enough in other things that we don't actually wrestle candidly with evil in the world. But when we begin to go honestly and vulnerably before God with these questions of evil, God makes us desperate for Jesus. You see, God isn't primarily interested in our physical health. He's not primarily interested in our wealth. He's not primarily interested in our economy. God is primarily interested that we become desperate for Christ. And the more candidly we look upon evil in the world, the more desperate we'll be for Jesus. Wrestle with the problem of evil candidly. And then thirdly and finally, wrestle with the problem of evil confidently. You know I had to end with good news and Habakkuk ends this with good news. Verse 12, we shall not die in all appearances to the contrary over the rule and reign of evil in this world. There's this great statement of faith. We will not die. God may make us desperate using evil, but he will never allow evil to triumph ultimately or finally over his people. We wrestle confidently with evil because of grace. In Christ, we are God's sons and daughters, and His heart toward us is good, and we shall overcome. Not because we're resilient Americans, but because we are the beloved of God. Chapter 2, verse 1. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. A a, a watchman would be waiting and looking for word from the front lines, from the general, giving good word of victory for the troops of the city. And they'd look longingly and expectantly with anticipation. And Habakkuk is saying, I am waiting, God, for you to give me word. I know your name. I know your nature. I know you're good, but I'm troubled. I'm confused. God, I need some confidence that you're going to meet us. And the confidence that we have, the word that we're waiting for is found in this book. Scripture. The divine promises. That's what gives us confidence in our wrestling with evil. Ephesians 6 is all about spiritual warfare. And the word of God is called the sword of the spirit. That's what gives us confidence in our battle with evil. He says, I will look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Only divine revelation, not human logic. Not our own reasonings, but the Bible gives us confidence. You know, even with the scriptures, there's so much we will not comprehend. We are finite and fallen, and then God is infinite and holy, and there are some elements of the problem of evil we will never be able to grasp. Deuteronomy 29.29 says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God but the revealed things belong to us and our children forever. In other words, God tells us that because we're finite and fallen and human, there are limitations. There is mystery in the Christian life. So focus on what we know, not on what we don't Understand. And what we know is we are not victims before evil. We are not helpless and we are not hopeless in the battle. Why? Because God sent Jesus to destroy the work of evil. Colossians 2, verse 15 God disarmed the rulers and principalities, triumphing over them by the cross. At the cross, we see the evil of evil as it crucifies Christ. But we also see God's judgment of evil on Jesus. And we see the victory over evil through the cross and the resurrection we can face the problem of evil with confidence. And the more we mature in the faith by going honestly and vulnerably before God, God will help us experience more confidence in warfare. I had yet another Zoom call this past week. It was with a dear friend, a mentor. And as we were talking, uh, he had seen the the sermon last week and he shared a number of um, encouragements that he received. And, and then he, he shared just one constructive suggestion. Well, you need to know it was as if the entire conversation beforehand about what he was encouraged by had never taken place. I'm a performance junkie. I'm a perfectionist. Evil has attacked me as someone who longs to have impact that unless I perform perfectly, I won't have that impact. And so I began to feel like a failure. I began to feel like I just can't do anything right when it comes to my preaching. But by God's grace, I began to focus afresh on the heart of God, the nature of God, the promises of God. I mean, there was part of me while he was even talking that was getting defensive. In my mind, I'm thinking, who are you to be talking to me about preaching? I know that's so horrible. I'm just being honest. But as I stay engaged in that conversation, God used it to grow me. He used it to even help my preaching. And he used it to show me how he is defeating evil in my life. How are you facing evil? Where do you feel defensive? Where do you feel defenseless before evil? How do you feel that evil's maliciously hunting you, attacking you, relentlessly pursuing you, your marriage, your family, your singleness? your children. We can face the problem of evil with confidence. In Hebrews 2.7, God says, we do not now yet see all things in submission to him, but we see Jesus, the one who conquered sin, Satan, Satan, death, and all evil. And one day all wrong will be put right. One day we will no longer be singing, How long, O Lord? Jesus has given victory over evil, and one day he will destroy evil. But for now we pray, Deliver us from evil. And for now, we wrestle. We wrestle theologically. We wrestle candidly. And we wrestle confidently. Let's pray. God, thank you for the prophet Habakkuk. Thank you for his honest wrestlings with the problem of evil. God, there are many, many, many of us. This is a big sticking point in our lives. Why, oh Lord, why does evil seem to prosper? Lord, it may be that there are people who are watching right now. This is the one thing keeping them from transferring their trust from their own logic and their own resources and self-reliance to the finished work of Christ. God, we may not understand all about evil, but we can know that you alone are God, that you're good, and that one day all of our thoughts about evil and how awful it is will be seen to be in line with your heart as well as you would destroy forever all evil, and there will be no more problem. And so, Lord, if there's anybody watching, may they transfer their trust now and put their hope in Christ. And for the rest of us, God, help us to wrestle and wrestle confidently. In Jesus' name, amen. And now receive the benediction, the promise of grace and truth so that we can battle evil confidently. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Abba Father and the fellowship and transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.